0: From Selma Alabama would you please welcome storyteller Miss Katherine Tucker Wyndham?
1: I can't believe I'm 92 and but I am and uh, my father said to me but he says that when you're building your life the most important things are the four L's and the first L is listening and it's a rare thing these days listening listening to the human voice listening to one person talking to another person listening we have forgotten how to listen, how to sit down and talk and have a good time listening. My daddy said, listen. God gave you two ears and one mouth, and he expected you to use them in that proportion. <laughs> and the next L is learning. You have to learn something different all your life. Don't ever quit learning. And laughing is the third L, he said. We've all got to laugh. Laugh at ourselves. Laugh at something every day. The world is a magical, wonderful place, he says. But we need to laugh together. Don't laugh at people, my father said. You laugh with people. And you can never hate anyone you've really laughed with. Laughter binds people together. The most important, L, is loving. Loving. That God put us here to love each other, to enjoy each other help each other to laugh together to learn together to listen together but to love each other and there's nothing that says i love you more pleasantly and more plainly than storytelling everybody here has stories that you need to tell and now is the time to do it tell stories and tell each one with love ending with i love you i love you thank you
2: Thanks so much to Catherine Tucker Windham, speaking at the 2010 Alabama Storytelling Festival at 92 years old about the importance of stories. I'm Amy Antonucci, here to welcome you to our True Tales Live Zoom show on November 29th, 2022. Thanks to everyone watching and listening, and especially thanks to those here in our live online audience. Welcome. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories. Stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us bridge differences and build understanding and respect for each other. We are so happy to be here with you. And um, we've learned a lot about being on Zoom and have a few suggestions to our audience since we really believe that you are a part of this as much as the tellers. You know, we're all, you know, the the tellers and the listeners really are connected. So if you are willing to keep your video on, you can have big physical reactions in order to connect with the others and the audience and the tellers. Uh, For instance, right now, express with me, someone just said something really embarrassing, good. All right. Um, also, there is the chat box, which we can save and share with tellers later. And it's also a place you can put questions that occur to you because we will have a short Q&A time towards the end of the program. Tonight, our theme is silver linings. And this theme really spoke to us in these tumultuous times, especially connected to the pandemic. The phrase actually first appeared in a 1634 poem by John Melton, the author of Paradise Lost. We will hear stories from Nina LaSiga, Kamisha Foley, and John Lovering, followed by Q&A with the tellers and a short interview of Nina by David Frainer. Pat Spaulding is our MC tonight. Please join me in a big visible welcome to Pat. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs>
3: Hello, everybody. I'm first going to introduce Nina Lasiga, who lives in Stratford, Connecticut. She's shared many stories of personal adventure with us here on True Tales Live. She is the host of a monthly program, Bridgeport Storytelling Exchange on Zoom, and co-producer of Pachacucha Night, Bridgeport. Nina has a passion for public participatory art. For instance, She takes a bunch of ukuleles into public spaces, asks strangers to strum along with her, and voila, it is public participatory art. You can learn more about Nina's creative adventures at her website, www.gotatravelsolo.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-T-R-A-V-E-L-S-O-L-O. The story she'll share with us tonight describes a big mistake that led Nina into an unexpected result. Its title is Forgotten. Come on up, Nina. Thank
4: you, Pat. Great to see you here today and everyone. Thank you for coming. It's 1990. I'm 33 years old and sitting at my desk. I'm wearing a fitted uh, suit with a very straight skirt. And in front of me is all these neat pit piles of paper. I'm doing a literature search about the cosmetic industry. It requires for me to use a modem to dial into databases and do searches. And I have to have razor sharp focus because this is all pays you use I'm paying by the hour and paying for each citation that I retrieve. I work in a really busy, noisy office. And so I need to really zone things out. And I have a deadline tomorrow. I'm gonna have to take all these results and create a report and present it tomorrow. And it's not a done deal with these things. You don't really know if all the puzzle pieces fit together until you actually sit down and get deep into it. I'm doing really well because I don't know anything that's going on. But then I hear, Nina, isn't it time for you to put your sneakers that are under your desk on and head out of the office? I look at the clock. It's 6 p.m. My quitting time is 3.30. Oh, not only did I forget the time, I forgot the day of the week. On Thursdays, I teach tap dancing to young children. You know, we wear these metal plates underneath our shoes and make music, per- percussive sounds. It's music in motion, and I really love it. What's making things worse is that I'm the studio owner and the class is about to start. My job is in New Jersey, but the class is in Brooklyn, New York. It's a 30 minute drive to get there. So I do the only thing I can think of doing. I picked up the phone and I called the receptionist. Uh, hi, it's uh, Miss Nina, I'm gonna be a little bit late. She goes, are you still in the office? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll explain later. When will you get here? Uh, before the class ends, I hope. Tell the kids uh, to start the class and all the cassette tapes are underneath the, 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 the stereo system. It's okay for them to operate the stereo. Tell them I said, I'm so happy that they know how to do that. And I'll see you soon. They hang up. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, it's too late to call everybody because they're all on their way. Most of them take public buses and cell phones. What are those? Not many people have them. Um, in that era, especially not where I lived anyway. And I'm thinking, my business relies on referrals. Who's going to recommend a dance teacher who forgets to go to her own class? I'm really getting worked up because, you know, (laughs) I can just imagine myself going uh, into the dancing school and, people are complaining and raising voices threatening to take their business elsewhere what's making matters worse is that when students miss a class I charge them but I miss classes all the time because of business trips I charge them and they just don't like it when they when they miss a class so um put on my sneakers Say good night, everyone, trying not trying to hide my panic. And I hightail it over to my car, which is parked in the parking lot that's right next to the building. And I get into my old Chevy and I go to the exit, and it's not an easy fast out because there is a guard, an arm that's going up and down after every car, and I'm thinking, okay, let's get a hold of yourself, think. I go, okay, so the first 20 minutes of the class, they are doing a little bit of a warm up, and it's the same thing every week. Uh, maybe they can do it unless they start fighting about what comes next. I take a deep breath. You know, my way home relies on me going through two tunnels and into lower Manhattan during rush hour. I get to the first tunnel and uh, it's, there's a lot of lanes going into the toll booth and it's jam-packed and even the express lane really takes a long time because you have to present a ticket booklet to the toll collector who rips it off before you head out and I'm thinking while well, I'm in line, okay, we're in the second part of the class now. If all's going well, they are now practicing steps across the length of the rectangular studio. Unless they start fighting over who's first, every week they run to try and be first on the line to go. And they're wearing tap shoes. And so it's like it's like slipping on ice. I'm like, going, oh gosh, I hope no one gets hurt. Well, I pass through the toll booth and it's now time to go into the tunnel. There are 12 lanes that are going to head into two to get into this tunnel and it's usually a fiasco of people shouting and horn honking and sharing obscenities. Now, not one to swear. I roll down my window no button no automatic windows i had cranked down that window and i would say son of a monkey i at least contributed to the to the to the occasion and uh, i'm just getting nervous because i this is not, not the time for a fender bender however there are two large dents on either side of my car People stay away from me. Like, don't get near that crazy lady zone. And they let me leave the line of cars right into the tunnel. And I get out. And um, I'm in lower Manhattan. There are a ton of traffic lights. One at every street almost. And I get caught by every one. And I look around and there are no police around. I have to restrain myself. I know when you run a red light in Manhattan, there are overhead cameras. They take your photo of your car with your license plate and in the mail, you get a real hefty ticket. Well, I finally approached the second tunnel and you go in through the tunnel. And the same thing, when you exit the tunnel, there are more than a dozen lanes with toll boots. Now this one, You actually have to take a token and toss it into the basket. And then this automatic arm goes up and down. And I am in the last leg of my journey to the dancing school. And I'm thinking, okay, they should be working on their dance recital routine now. Uh, All I can do is cross my fingers virtually. I can't do that, I'm driving. And I go, and it's uneventful until I get to the studio. I pull up, inhale, exhale, close my eyes, and then I put, go outside my car and put a quarter in the parking meter right outside the dance studio. It's a storefront, and the dancing school is on the street level, and I tiptoe in, and no one notices me. You see, the dance studio is open studio design, and there is this big plexiglass partition between the waiting area and the dancing class. And everyone in the waiting area, which is mostly parents, can see everything that's going on and hear everything is going on. And they are razor sharp focused looking into the dance studio. And I see two beautiful lines about a dozen children all different colored leotards and um, leggings tights you know and all different shapes and sizes we sell merchandise and so by having them no color code we sell more merchandise and Tanisha's out front in the front of the class with her back to the to the mirror and she's demonstrating shuffle, ball chain, shuffle, hop step. And she looks like me. She's making my mannerisms. She's got this, she's trying to make my accent and she's doing a really good job. And over by the record player is Ashley, who then turns it on, turns on the tape deck and they begin to dance to 42nd Street, their dancing school recital dance. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they don't need me. They're running that class all by themselves. Well, finally, the parents see me. One of them gestures, sit down. They did not want me to you know, just disrupt this magic. And she, she, one of them says, Miss Nina, We're so glad you're here and that you got here safely. You should have seen it all the time. Someone knew what to do. Between all of them, it was beautiful. You know, Miss Nina, when you travel for business, we show the children on the map where you're traveling, whether it's Europe or the Far East or South America, and we say to to them, when you grow up, you can be a dancer and have a second career like Miss Nina. While they finished their dance, we all applaud. The parents are standing up um, and giving them a, a, an ovation and saying, bravo. And I step onto the dance floor and the children all crowd around me in this big hug. And I say, Children, I am so proud of you. And you should be proud of yourselves, too. And one of them says, Miss Nina, I can't believe I did it. Another one, yeah, Miss Nina, oh my gosh, we we can't believe we did it. I, you did, and you should be very proud of yourselves. Now, these children now had bragging rights. The next day, when someone asked them, what's new? Instead of saying nothing, I don't know, shrugging their shoulders, they can say, my dance studio teacher, Miss Nina, she came really late to class and we ran the class until she got there. She didn't get there to the last few minutes. Self-doubt made me think that the most horrible, things were going to happen that day in the dance studio, but they didn't. It didn't hurt my business. It actually helped my business, yay. And um, I, what I realized is that I was so grateful for this unexpected adventure. For years, people in the dress, in the, in the waiting area would say, hey, Miss Nina, do you remember that day when, yeah, I remember. And I learned to smile instead of cringe because on that day, the most unexpected happened. We all learned how much the children really learned. Thank you. Thanks,
3: Nina. <laughs> oh, that was um quite the trip to the studio, man. I was with you going through all of those, those tunnels and the lanes, you know, 12 of them going into two and all this, and the anxiety of thinking what was going on, making up all this stuff in your head. When you finally got to breathe before you opened that door to the studio, I realized that was kind of you gave me permission to go. <laughs> you know I breathe too. so thanks for that. <laughs> good story.
4: Thank you Pat. Great to be here tonight.
3: Thanks. that was good that was really good. Okay, coming up next we have Kamisha and um Kamisha lives in New York, Maine with Brian, her husband of 26 years and they're not so friendly feline. Fiona. She is a storyteller, writer, and comedian who loves marching bands and coffee. <laughs> Good choice. She's also a frequent, frequent participant in True Tales Live both as a teller and as a volunteer. Before beginning tonight's story, Kamisha would like each one of us to imagine ourselves being a 42-year-old guy in 1974 raising the youngest of his five children, who happens to be only nine years old, all on his own in a major city. Okay, you are now this guy, trying to raise your young daughter, hold down a job and keep the household running. Do you think you might feel a tad overwhelmed and a bit cranky? Let's hear more about Kamisha's formative years with dad and how they may have influenced her adult life in the story, Who Needs
5: Alexa? (laughs) Come on, Kamisha. (laughs) Thanks, Pat. (laughs) Wow. You know, in the early 70s, it was really unusual for dads to raise their their children by themselves. It wasn't quite yet Kramer versus Kramer time, if you know what I mean. My dad, well, let me back up. In 73, my family unraveled. I mean, literally came apart. My oldest three brothers were out on their own because they were old enough to be by themselves. My sister and I originally went with my dad, but after about Almost a year. I decided I didn't like Oklahoma, and I asked my dad to come get me. By then, he had moved from Boston down to Washington D.C. So he took the Greyhound out to Oklahoma. He didn't have a car. We didn't have a car, and we took the train and and we took the bus back to Washington D.C. together, where I learned a lot more about my dad than I had ever known. I mean. We walked everywhere without a car. This man, he was all about the list. Let me tell you, it was like checklists, to-do lists, grocery lists. I mean, he had lists for lists. And he was always checking them off. And as a young child of nine, going to elementary school in a major city, which I would walk to from our apartment, I really needed that checklist My dad was trying to help me be organized. I mean, I think the first time it happened, we were actually standing in the community health center line because I had to get shots in order to go to the public school. So there we were with our forum. You have to get a tetanus shot. You have to get a measles. You have to get the rubella. You have to get the mumps. You have to get the polio. Check, 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 check. Off you go. Now you can go to school. It was like that. My dad loved paper. He loved forms. He was all about them. I mean, thinking back about it, it makes sense. You see, he was in the Navy, but he met my mom at the Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma. That makes no sense. Why would a Navy guy be in Oklahoma? Turns out he was a parachute rigger. That's right, William T. Foley, private. Parachute rigger, Air Navy. And so it makes a lot of sense now that he was an important person and he had a lot of stuff to check off while he was doing those parachutes. I mean, think about it. You don't want him to miss a step, right? (laughs) I don't think so. (sighs) Yeah. So, you know, when I was in middle school, my dad really started to get on my nerve about these lists. We lived in a downtown apartment, and it was the same routine every single day. We'd start the morning off, and this actually started about fifth or sixth grade. He would say, Red, we'd have breakfast. He'd pour himself a cup of coffee. He'd pour me a cup of coffee, New England regular. That means sugar and milk at the age of nine, at the age of 10, at the age of 11, Explains a lot about my love of coffee, but it also explains why my teachers thought I was hyperactive. Anyways, yeah. So pour a cup of coffee. It's time to go to school. Here comes the list. Are you ready, everybody? Red. That's what my dad called me because I used to have bright red hair. Now I'm a little bit older. It's not so bright. You got your key for the apartment. Do you have your backpack? Do you have your homework? Do you have your lunch money? Do you have your bus token? On and on it went every day. That's how every morning went. Yes, dad. Yes, dad. Yes, dad. Sometimes I didn't have it and I had to go get it and put it in my backpack and all those fun things. And God forbid the day that I forget the apartment key. That was big trouble. And then the end of the day rule was I had to check in with my dad at his work at Raleigh's, which was a fine men's clothing store in downtown Washington, D.C., So I had to call the store every day when I got home and ask to speak with my dad and let him know I was home from school. At nighttime, it was a reverse. We would have dinner and then he would start back in on another list. Red, have you had your shower? Are you ready for bed? Did you make your lunch? Are you taking lunch? Do you need lunch money? Did you finish your homework? Did you put it in your backpack? Have you made your bed? Have you not made your bed? You get the idea. On and on and on it went. But, you know, I got to say, he was a really awesome dad. I mean, he had to do all that stuff. He taught me how to sew buttons, taught me how to read maps, taught me how to grocery shop. He taught me how to write checks. He taught me how to navigate the D.C. metro and subway. And he had to do this all just so that he could go to work and he would know that I could take care of myself. But in high school, mm, those lists were awful. And I just bridled back against them. I'm like, dad, I'm old enough to know what I'm doing. I don't need you on me every single day. I know what to do. And we would butt heads just like this. He would yell at me. Sometimes he would ground me. Sometimes he would say, all right, Figure it out for yourself. Well, I graduated high school all in one piece, thanks to my dad's list and his constant shepherding of this is what you got to do. This is how you got to do it. Have you done it? Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Well, I went off to college. Hooray. I am away from my dad and his stupid lists, and I don't have to do anything when I don't want to, and I'm not gonna. Ha ha, that was awesome. Until it wasn't, I was completely untethered. I had no, no thing, no ballast, nothing. I I was all over the place and everywhere all at once. I had no structure. I didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I was losing things all the time. I was forgetting homework assignments. This is long before any, you know, reminders on a computer. We carried it in a, in a calendar or in a paper notebook. I scraped by. I graduated. I never told my dad about all the stuff that I couldn't find or I'd forgotten to do. I finally got out and got my first job. Mm. Man, did I miss that structure from my dad in college, but I wasn't going to tell him. No way. So I started interviewing for jobs, and I got out and got my job in college, my first job. I didn't like it. I didn't like anything about it. So I quit it. Got my second job. Didn't like it, didn't like the manager, think he might've been on something, quit that job too. I had to find work, I went to a temporary agency and they gave me all these tests. And one of them, would you believe it, was how to organize somebody for a trip. Well, ha, 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 bring it on, baby, because I know all about making lists and organizing people. I could do that with my eyes closed, thanks to my dad. And I zipped through the exams and all the other stuff that they gave me, including a map of other countries. Because, you know, you never know, Brad, you might have to get somewhere and you're going to need to know where the capital is so let's make sure you know the capitals of all. Let's list them off. If you had told me that that would have been important, but it did turn out to be important. The lady came out after I finished all the tests and she said to me, have you seen this test before? No. I mean, sort of? I mean, wait a minute. How did you know, I mean, this is almost perfect. Nobody ever gets, it's almost perfect. Like you knew exactly what needed to be packed and you knew exactly what they needed to have for their trip. You knew exactly what they needed to have for money and who they needed to check in with at the consulate. Come on, nobody knows that right off the bat. I try not to be too smug. But I was pretty damn proud of myself, I got to say. And 35 years later, as a career executive assistant, I could say that those lists really turned out to make my whole life. I mean, I do it for a living now. Who knew? (laughs) And that is why I say to people all the time, who needs Alexa? You got me. Thank you.
3: Oh, <laughs> thank you, Kamisha, and and thank you to your dad. I tell you, th- listening to this story, I think it makes all of us really like him. <laughs> he was paying such close attention. You know, all those annoying lists and rules um, had a lot of reasons behind them. And, um, and look how great you turned out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> thank you. Okay, folks. Next up, we have John Lovering. Now, John filled in for um, a last-minute teller who couldn't make it, and so he's going to be telling this story. It's, it's pre-recorded, not live, but it's it's really a good story. A um, little background on John, in case you don't know, he's a lifelong resident of New Hampshire who now lives in Dover spent his professional life for 35 years as an educator teaching biology, earth science, gifted and talented students, and media production. John has been happily married for 54 years to his most excellent wife, Melanie. They have two daughters and three grandchildren. Old-time radio, a hobby of John's for 30 years, is really all about storytelling. Realizing that led him to co-found True Tales Live with Amy Antonucci in January of 2014 as a radio program. From 2016 to the present, this show has been broadcast on PPM-TV in Portsmouth. And besides True Tales Live, John also produces a show titled Living and Learning with Disabilities and an old-time radio podcast called Heirloom Radio. A different kind of oldies show, which currently has, dig this, 524,000 listeners, who, John says, all like stories. So tonight, to ease us gently into the holiday season, he will share a memorable story from his youth titled, All Mom Wants for Christmas is Some New False Teeth mm hmm mm-hmm,
0: dee-dee-dee-dee. Come on up, John! It is my pleasure to share a personal Christmas story with you that I call All Mom Wants for Christmas is Some New False Teeth. In December 1957, I was in the third grade. I lived in Keene, New Hampshire with my father, mother, and sister Carol. We lived in a nice but modest home just about a half a mile from Wheelock Elementary School where I was in the third grade, as I said. Um, My father worked for a printing company. He set type, which means he worked with little tiny lead letters using magnifying lenses and tweezer-like tools. He sat at a stool, much like Bob Cratchit, and would arrange the letters into a metal form to match the words that a customer wanted printed on paper. Once the letters were in the correct order and spaced properly, he would lock the form. The form was then checked by an editor to make sure everything was correct and then sent on to the printer, who would attach the form onto the printing press that would ink the letters and begin the printing on paper. They used to print mostly business forms for banks and companies, checks, balance sheets, order forms and such. My father worked 40 hours a week and he was paid about $4,200 a year. Now each year at Christmas time, if business had been good, the owner of the company would give all the employees a bonus. The amount was based upon how much profit the company had made during the year. Well the Christmas of 1957 was a pretty good bonus year because I remember my father coming home with a $100 bill in his weekly pay envelope. I had never seen a $100 bill, and the way my father acted, I don't think he had ever seen one either. He passed it around, and we all got the thrill of holding that $100 bill. I remember that he told me that at the start of World War II, he was only making $13 a week, so I could understand the excitement of the bonus check, or bonus bill, it was a bill we got to hold it. it was so exciting my mother worked as a dental assistant the office was located above sears and roebuck's store in Keene, and in those days dental assistants were trained by the dentists they were not like today's dental hygienists i remember when i was in the first grade my father brought my mother home from work one saturday afternoon and she had a lot of cotton in her mouth and it was full of blood and as a six-year-old, it scared me to see her like that. It seems my mother had contracted a disease of the gums called pyrrhea and had to have all her teeth removed on one appointment. She was only 33 at the time. What does all this have to do with Christmas? Well, I'll jump back to 1957, about three years after my mother had her teeth removed. False teeth were expensive back then, just as they are today, and my parents could not afford the best teeth. The dentist my mother worked for did not make false teeth himself, so even though he recommended a couple of companies that did, uh, my father just couldn't afford them. They were too expensive. So the solution was that my mother ordered her false teeth through a magazine ad, and when they came, they did not fit well. So she used to hold them near the stove to soften the gum part of the false teeth and then she would try to mold them herself so they would fit tighter onto her gums. I have vivid memories of my mother doing that many times but she never could get the teeth to fit that well. I believe it was late October of 1957 or so when my mother was talking on the phone to one of her four sisters and I was standing beside her and noticed that She had put her false teeth on top of a hot steam radiator. She was apparently trying to soften them so that she could adjust the fit. Now, while I was standing there, I noticed that some of the teeth had started to pull away from the plastic gum and it actually started to drip slowly down the side of the radiator. I pulled my mother's sleeve a couple of times, maybe more, and she scolded me and said, I'm on the phone just a minute. I said, look at your teeth. She glanced over toward the radiator and let out a muffled yell and just hung up instantly, quickly tried to rescue what was left of her false teeth that were now totally ruined. I remember she was trying to put them back together and and her eyes filled with tears. I went to my room because I was sad to see my mother so upset and I didn't know what to do. When my father got home, She showed him her teeth, and he was not happy that she had let that happen to them, because, as I mentioned, they were quite expensive to replace. I don't know what the exact conversation between my parents was, but my mother was not able to order any new teeth until the middle of November, when they apparently had saved up enough money to do another magazine mail order. This time, the company sent her some wax and she was to bite into it and that left a mold and they were going to try to make the teeth fit better by following that mold As she returned so she sent the mold back and then the wait began for her teeth to arrive by mail Thanksgiving came we had it at home my mom didn't have any teeth at that time Then December she began to get nervous because it was taking so long for the new teeth to arrive You see my mother had four sisters and a brother and we were all getting together for our annual family christmas party on christmas eve at my grandmother's house it was a tradition with all 13 of my cousins and my 12 aunts and uncles and december 24th was coming fast each day when the mailman came my mother would rush out to the mailbox to see if her new false teeth had arrived but day after day went by no teeth. Holding her hand in front of her mouth she told the mailman who had been our mailman for years that she was looking for a package from whatever the name of the company was to arrive soon. What I do remember was that around December 22nd I saw my mother sitting on the stairs going up to the second floor of our house looking out the window to see when the mailman came. Once again she rushed out no package december 23rd one day before the family christmas eve vacation or celebration i should say i found my mother sitting on the stairs this time she was crying because she was too embarrassed to go to the party without her teeth i remember feeling very sorry for her and there was only one more chance and on december 24th the mail came and out the door she went no package she was sobbing really hard. I hugged her and said it would be okay mom. My father came home from work and he had that one hundred dollar bill from his bonus. He was happy about that, but then he saw my mother and tried to comfort her. He said that she, she said that she could not go to the Christmas Eve party. She was too embarrassed to have people see her and that Teeth probably wouldn't come because Christmas would be the next day and she probably wouldn't have them for a while yet. She was very upset. Now I do not remember the exact time but somewhere around 5 or 6 p.m. there was a knock at the front door. My father opened the door and there was the mailman with a box addressed to my mother in his hand. He said he was on his way home from work and then went back to see if the box had arrived in the last delivery truck that had come in late. He found the box and he stopped by our house to deliver the package and even though that was after his shift his working hours he did it on his own time my mother hugged him and my father offered to give him a tip which he would not accept but he did have some homemade cookies and i think he had a little drink of something special called dad's christmas punch the teeth fit my mother quite well and we went to the party She was smiling a lot. I think she was showing off her new teeth. That turned out to be a very Merry Christmas, thanks to the kindness, compassion, and dedication of our mailman, who knew all my mom wanted for Christmas was some new false teeth. That's my Christmas story. Merry Christmas, happy holiday, and let us hope for a healthy and happy new year. Thank you. (laughs)
3: Ah, that gets us in the mood for the holidays, John. Thank you. Um, It's really like, you know, a modern day Santa Claus coming on that that last minute to deliver a
0: gift that was so important. It it was. And um, I will never forget that story. And my mother, I know probably people listening probably think, she was nuts, but uh she she tried to save money. And uh just when if I can just tell you how the feeling that I had when I saw those the individual teeth going down the side of the the radiator, um it it was it was really, really tough. And uh she, I will say I will say one thing, in her entire life she lived to be 85 years old. Um she never bought a professional pair of teeth. My father tried to get her many times to go to the dentist. She was embarrassed to go to the dentist. What? She didn't want to go. And I would actually talk to, I knew the dentist. He was a college mate of mine. And he said, I've seen so much worse. Just bring it in. Now, don't worry. She wouldn't go. So she she literally died with a pair of teeth that she bought through a magazine. Uh, she that's how she bought them during all those years and she she actually used super glue to glue them together when they got broken oh so, wow so, it was they, it was incredible
3: did they fit okay so that it wasn't no, too No they
0: they'd fall she'd be talking and they'd fall down and uh, she'd get embarrassed and she would put her hand over her mouth yeah and it was sad but she wouldn't she just wouldn't do it so she's just a stubborn uh, and the last name was Boragaj she was a stubborn a stubborn, <laughs> a stubborn French Canadian lady, <laughs> but I loved her anyway.
3: That's a lovable story.
2: Thank you. Amy, are you coming up? I'm here. I'm here. Uh, so folks, we're going to do a little Q&A. Um, please feel free to use the chat and put in questions that have occurred to you. Um, I think, though, we will start with Nina who has given us some pictures. So, if you remember our first teller in her dance class, want to see a picture? All right. Let's let's see what we got here. And here we go. Here is Miss Nina. Oh, can you can folks see that? Good. Miss Nina and her 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 uh, little dancers. Here's another. With her class. ah, that's so sweet. They are so colorful. So Nina, I'm gonna ask you, how long did you te- do this, you know, this dance studio? How long was it a part of your life?
4: Well, I, I had it for about 23 years. And um, I also had a music school as well because the parents liked the, my attitude and who I hired. And so they just bring the musicians in. Uh, Before that, I taught for other people, but tap dancing. Tap dancing was my specialty,
2: but you there were other kinds of dance that you
4: taught. Yeah, the little the little kids got a combination of ballet and tap. And then once in a while for the older children, I had to teach jazz, half hour tap, half hour jazz. And my vision, my vision was I would open up this business and have all these dancers from Manhattan come to the studio to teach. And that happened for ballet and the other subjects, but never for tap. I just kept going and going and going. And I loved it.
2: And what, uh, so do you still tap? Pat would like to know. Oh, um, no, chair tap right now.
4: Uh, Because of bad knees, I was advised to wean off
2: the tap dancing. Is there other dancing you do instead? Oh sure, I like to boogie. You wait, wait, Looking forward to our dance party coming up in a few minutes. I am really excited to dance. All right. Um, so the other thing I'm going to ask of you here is, uh, how about tickets, Nina? How many? How often did you get those? Did you ever get that ticket in the mail? Was oh it after- yeah, it only took once.
4: <laughs> And I didn't have a I didn't have a clue, you know, and uh, I was just like so shocked. And it was it was a really interesting area to drive through because my air conditioning was busted like there were guys coming to wipe the windshields. There were, you know, people who were just street people would come over and you knew them, but you saw them every day. So you got to know them, have conversations during the red lights. So it, was, it was very interesting.
2: Nice. Um, so Kamisha, I have a few questions for you. First, I just wanna know, I know that you didn't admit to your father how helpful the lists were when you were in college. Did you ever get around to letting him know that they were helpful? No, I did tell him he did a good job raising
5: me, but I never went into
2: the specifics. <laughs> And did he he raised your brothers and sisters and your brothers and sister, I guess, to with this list thing too, or was it just you?
5: No. So my older, um, so I was the youngest of the five of us. So my three older sibling, three oldest brother, my three brothers were old enough to be on their own when our parents divorced, separated. And my sister and I originally went with my mom. My sister stayed in Oklahoma, but I came back to the East Coast with my dad. So it was just my dad and I, until I, um, actually, until I went off to college.
2: I get it. So you were the the recipient, the main recipient of his parenting and his...
5: Little- <laughs> <laughs> uh, famous phrase would be, let me tell you something red. everything started that way before he would tell me what i needed to learn he was started off that way let me tell you something red you need to make sure blah 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 (laughs) check check check
2: (laughs) that's great i love it um wow uh let's see what other oh and nina wants to know do you make food shopping lists
5: Yes. And I learned how to make food shopping lists from my father. This is way back before check fraud was a big deal. Um, My father would actually write the check for the groceries in advance and sign the check. But he would leave the dollar amount blank. And he would give me the list for the groceries and send me off on Saturday mornings because he worked retail. So he had to work Saturdays. He would send me off to the grocery store on my own. And the cashiers knew that I, I don't know how they knew, but they must have some of arrangement with my father. I would go through the grocery store and follow his list. And I'd get up to the cash register and I'd write out the check that he had already signed. And then come home with the groceries. And even now it's kind of funny when the market basket flyer comes out, I say to my husband, I said, Oh, let me get the grocery list out. We have a notepad that we keep by the refrigerator. So I'm kind of inseparable that way.
2: Well, Nina actually wants tips. She wants to know if you'll you'll give her some lessons and
5: oh anytime. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> you have one right now, like top of your list.
5: Oh, top of your list. list. Don't don't buy fish from the fish market on Mondays.
2: Well, all right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, Wow, Um, good to know. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, and we are close to to finishing up here. I'm not going to ask John more questions. John has a cold, so it was, uh, he's been amazing to be with us tonight, but we're going to let him rest. Note that we do have more coming up, but I have some things to let you all know about. Let's see where to start. First with thank yous. Thank you all of you for being with us tonight and many thanks to our tellers who brought us such great stories uh we are soon to move to our after story conversation segment but first let me tell you we will not have a show in december um falls too close to the holidays it was just too much so our next true tales live zoom show is tuesday january 31st at 7 p.m um you can go to true Tales Live nh.org to find the link to register our dates and themes for 2023 are posted on our website now we hope you'll go check them out and send us your story proposals most shows are going to be on zoom there should be at least one in person one we'll keep you updated on that but we'll do the winter on zoom uh we encourage any of you interested in Becoming a teller to attend one of our monthly Zoom workshops, usually on the first Tuesday from 7 to 8.30, and we are doing that in December. So Tuesday, December sixth, one week from today is the next one. Contact us at info at to become a teller and find out more and see truetaleslivenh.org for links to register for the workshops we will continue to offer our programs to you for free. Um, But the truth is that we do have some expenses that we need to to meet to keep the show going. So if you are able to contribute, we gratefully welcome your support. On our website, there is a a way to, to, you know, click a button and donate, or you can contact us and we'll get you an address to send a check to. And can tell you about tax-deductible options also. Watch us on Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m., Saturdays at 1 p.m., and anytime is video on demand or podcast. TrueTalesLiveNH.org will get you access to all of those. Let's thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovering. Pat Spaulding, David Frayner, Sarah Bedingfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, Tom Osberg, Tina Charpentier, and myself. I'm Amy Antonucci and we are about to move to the backstory interview of Nina by David, but first we're going to shake off the Zoom cobwebs with one minute, 60 seconds of movement and fun with our True Tales dance party. It's a great time and we'd love if you have your video on and you can stand up and clear the dance space or just nod your head whatever you you feel like you want to do but please join us and john i'm turning it over to you to get it going